Thanks be to God. Keep your Bibles open, if you would, as uh, we move through these verses. We're going to look at uh, some things that won't uh, be on the screen. It's not on your outline sheet that's in your worship folder there. Do you remember the name Dan Jansen? Do you remember that name, Dan Jansen? He was the Olympic uh, gold medal speed skater. His sister Jane died of leukemia just before the 1988 Winter Games in Calgary. He uh, desperately wanted to win a gold medal in honor of his sister in 1988, but he failed to do that in Calgary. In the 1992 Games in Albertville, France, he again went away empty. And four years later in Lillehammer, Norway, though, he won the gold medal in the 1,000 meters. He set a world record. And in his, I still remember, in his victory lap around the ice, it was uh, just an amazingly sweet and emotional moment. He skated to victory, and he was holding his uh, little, at that time, nine-month-old daughter in his, in his arms, and her name was Jane, in honor of his sister. After the Olympics, uh, he was asked in an interview how he had overcome so much adversity over all those years and just kept going. And in the interview, he reflected back on a time when he was 12 years old. He had lost a meat. His father drove him home, and he said he pouted the whole way home, just pouted about it. His father was silent during that uh, trip. Dan pouted during dinner, went to bed. His dad hadn't uh, said anything about his attitude through that whole evening. But as he was in bed, his dad came into his room, and he said, Son, life is more than skating in circles. Life is more than skating in circles. And he just turned and walked out. And Jansen said that that one moment changed his whole perspective on life. Changed his whole perspective, he said. He didn't quit skating in circles. He just got a bigger picture. His father's words gave him a higher perspective on life. His skating took on new significance. An earthbound perspective is just skating in circles. The Lord wants to give us a different view, a Christian worldview. Ordinary activities, or what may seemingly be viewed as ordinary, are infused with spiritual significance, with eternal significance. And that's really what the verses that, that Darwin just read focuses on this morning, here in John chapter 10. Jesus talks about our security, our security in him. He talks about our life with him. You could almost capitalize the word with. I mean, every, every letter is caps. Our life with him. Now, often when we think of life with Christ, we think about uh, life beyond this earthly one. We think about a funeral or a cemetery, and then life eternal in heaven. Life with Christ encompasses, we would say, life encompasses heaven. Life with Christ. Well, it's that. And it's more. It's more. He holds us steady. He holds us secure now, now, and forever. What we're going to see this morning is that Jesus' life enables our own, our own victorious life. And that's what the Apostle Paul writes about in his letter to some early believers in the city of Colossae. So as we move through this message, you'll see some verses, not just from John chapter 10 or John's gospel, but from other letters of Paul, but especially we'll see some verses from that letter to the Christians 
in Colossae, Colossians. John gives us a, a picture of our relationship with the shepherd, our relationship with Jesus, loving shepherd with the sheep. And the Apostle Paul adds commentary. He adds insight to this loving picture. He writes about our life with our Lord. It's a new perspective, all of life. It's a realized spiritual center. It's immense possibilities because of our security, because of our connection with our shepherd, with Christ. Here's how it begins. Here's how our scripture starts here, John 10. There's a claim upon my life. It's the shepherd's claim upon my life. Look at John 10, a couple of verses here. I'm the good shepherd. We've looked at these verses prior weeks. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep. My sheep know me. Now that I am statement there, he's de Jesus is declaring himself, I am God with you. God in the present tense. God present now with you. And that God has come in the sense of a good shepherd. Now these verses. Jews who were gathered around him saying, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you're the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you don't believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me, but you don't believe because you're not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them. They follow my sheep follow me. You're not my sheep. You don't believe, you don't belong. That's what he's saying there. Now, this is amazing. Now, if you've got your Bibles open, if you look at verse 22, it's not going to come up on the screen. Don't miss the change. Don't miss the change in time frame between the first part of John chapter 10 and this last part. And it happens, boom, just at verse 22. Verse 22, we move abruptly from the Feast of the Tabernacles. Now, all of the, the conversations, the messages over these last few weeks has been during the Feast of Tabernacles. That happens during the first part of what we would call October. It's a harvest festival. Feast of Tabernacles has taken place. Now, look at verse 22 there. The festival of the dedication. In one little verse, John just says, we've moved from this to that. But you realize that the Feast of the Tabernacles takes place the first part of October, and the Festival of Dedication takes place during what we would know as December. It's about a three-month time lapse here in one little verse. John just says, boom, boom, and, it's, and three months have elapsed between 21 and 22. Now, what happened? John doesn't tell us. We get some hints from the Gospel of Luke. Luke lets us know that Jesus was ministering about this time in his ministry up north in Galilee. So what we have in this little shift of time frame is Jerusalem up north to Galilee and now back down to Jerusalem in a three-month gap right there. Now, the other thing, John tells us it's winter. That's when this festival, this feast takes place. And Jesus was walking in the temple, the the colonnades, the courtyard of Solomon. It's on the east side of the temple. It's just outside the court of the Gentiles, right there along the east side. And these, this colonnade, there were columns that were 40-some feet high, and there were about 30 of them, and it was all covered. So in the wintertime, if the weather's bad, if there's some rain or some wind, this is a covered area where Jesus is walking and where he's teaching. 
This is where he gets confronted by all of the religious leaders. Now, in this gap, this three-month gap, it's interesting that in John 10, the first verses, Jesus is talking about, I'm the good shepherd. He's writing and talking about shepherd and sheep. We get to this three-month gap, and that's still on his mind. Jesus continues to have his shepherding ministry on his mind, on his heart. Now, three months have elapsed, and we know that those three months have taken, have taken him even closer to the cross. It was about six months, and now it's about three months until he's facing the cross. Relationship is what he continues to, to dwell on, to think about, to try to communicate, to teach. Loving, loving shepherd for the sheep. Now, one of the tragic and utterly false notions that people can have is that any discussion of Christian life and behavior is regulated by a regular or by a, a, a rather rigid list of regulations and rules, do's and don'ts. Jesus is talking about relationship, the relationship that he has with those who follow him. And a lot of times what we hear out in the world or wherever we may even think it ourselves is it's mainly rules, regulations, do's and don'ts. But I'll, I'll tell you, if we begin with rules, we wind up centering on our own human performance. And that is constantly the conversation that Jesus is having with the religious leaders. They are focused on religious performance, a kind of do-it-yourself religion, and it led them to pride and judgmentalism. They were doing well in their minds. On the other side, there's unrelenting guilt and despair when we fail. And that we get a picture of that back in chapter 9 when the disciples see the man who's born blind and their first thought, their first question is, who sinned, this man or, or his parents? It was rules, regulations. He fouled up. That's, he gets what he deserves. So it's either pride and judgmentalism or guilt and despair. Negative or even positive rules, rules have no power to change our underlying motivation. Thinking that Christianity is basically living by rules and regulations is like sitting on a mad dog. You don't want to do that. Have you ever tried? Uh, hey, I've seen, some, I've seen some dogs that are nasty. Try sitting on one. You might be able to control him as long as you're on top, but sooner or later the dog's going to get loose and he's most likely going to tear you up. Just trying to do our best, maintain self-control, live up to some set of beliefs, does not deal, it doesn't deal with the truth of what Jesus is pointing out here. Our shepherd's claim upon us, our relationship with him relationship with him. So, in our scripture this morning, the religious leaders have completely surrounded Jesus. The text tells us that they're, the, the word that's used there is they've engulfed him. They're on every side. Completely surrounded him. But they are far from him in relationship. They don't believe and they don't belong to him. And he lets them know that. Now, Later, in his first letter, John writes about the same thing. In 1 John 2.19, he's writing about the supposed followers in the church who are no longer part of the fellowship of believers. And this is what he, 
rights here. They went out from us, but they didn't really belong. Because if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us, but their going showed that none of them belonged. Now, he's not writing, he's not writing so much about behaviors, or, and he's certainly not writing about their having lost their salvation. That is not the case here. He's, he's not saying that they lost their salvation. With, along with, as with the religious authorities that surrounded Jesus in the temple, they never really knew. They never really knew the Lord at all. They did not belong. They never knew him. Now, practical instruction follows powerful insight here. The shepherd's connection to us. Look at verse 27. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them. They follow. Now, in the Mideast, in the Mideast, three or four flocks of, of sheep can, can bed down together. They can intermingle. They can bed down together in the same fold. They might, might also graze together in the same field. But there's no problem in separating them because as soon as the shepherd begins to call his own sheep or he makes his own particular sound for his flock, the flocks just begin to move. There's a lot of movement, different direction. The shepherds go in different directions and those sheep follow their own shepherd because they know his voice. They know, they know. He knows them and they follow their own shepherd. They know his voice. He knows them they follow. It's discernment. There's discernment in this. Knowing his voice, knowing his will, knowing his truth. That's us. Discerning his voice, his will, his truth. The Apostle Paul gives us insight in this, really, this life-giving relationship, this solid connection, following, following our Lord. Since then, You've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. So Paul writes here, set your hearts, set your minds. Following Jesus involves both our affections and our thoughts. What's it like to follow Jesus? Jesus says, my sheep follow me. Paul writes about it. How do I follow? I set my heart, I set my mind. When we set our heart on something, it motivates us. It changes us. It energizes us. It makes our eyes shine and puts a spring in our step. Focus on, uh, on, uh, it focuses a once divided attention towards something that's solid in its direction. For solid direction in all of life, we follow our shepherd. Solid direction in life, we follow our shepherd, Jesus. Now, whatever direction the world's traveling, whatever direction the world decides to go, however twisted the path becomes, our lives faithfully follow our shepherd, the one, the only Lord of every place, every time, every season, every situation. Preacher of an earlier generation, Vance Havner, said, Christians aren't, aren't citizens of earth trying to get to heaven. We're citizens of heaven making our way through the world. What's he saying there? We're following, we're following a different voice. We're following a shepherd. Now, there's also the phrase that Paul gives us here, set your minds, set your heart, set your mind. It, mean, it means to have understanding. It means to be discerning. It means to be wise. The mental discipline of directed thinking is how that word is used there. Set your mind. Mental discipline of directed thinking. Here it is. Our hearts, our hearts shape our passions. 
Our minds shape our priorities. Our hearts shape our passions. Our minds shape our priorities. And here's the progression. Affections plus thoughts equal action, equal following. Affections plus thought equal actions. The Lord is very interested in all this because what our hearts are after plus what we are thinking about leads to what we do in following. Isn't that the case? You bet it is. You bet it is. What I continually think about or dwell on, that begins to affect how I actually live and behave. Hearts and minds, and the word that Paul uses here is set. Set. It's a present imperative. It means a continuous, ongoing action. It's not once hit or miss. It's ongoing. It's continuing. It's following. It's staying with it. Perseverance. Set on things above. So the picture here, you say, well, set on things above. The picture, the picture is not sheep just gazing, standing, back, looking off into the sky. Eh, eh. That's not it. That's stupid. Okay? That's just dumb. Jesus and Paul are simply saying that you and I want to think about life the way God thinks about life. You and I want to think about life the way God thinks about life. It means we see things in this world from the Lord's perspective. We think about things differently than the world thinks. New desires, new priorities, new perspective. Each of us, each of us saying repeatedly, because it's an ongoing, continuous action, each of us saying day by day, I belong to my shepherd. I belong to the Lord. It is different from me. I belong to Jesus. The world's status, all the world's stuff, security, that is not my true satisfaction. It's not my true satisfaction. I belong to the shepherd. Now, one of the deepest ways of getting at this is to ask, what could happen? What could happen to us that would shake our faith in our shepherd? What could happen to us that would shake our faith in our Lord? What things of earth, another question, what things of earth would I find it difficult to do without? What blocks my vision of things above? What blocks my vision of a greater perspective, an eternal perspective? Position, power, pleasure, Possessions, stuff, a loved one, dream of success, financial accumulation, things, some goal. Or on the other side of it, it can be a, a fear, it can be some worry, worry over what's going to happen tomorrow, tomorrow's headlines, some hatred, a broken relationship, somebody's hurt my whatever, somebody said or did some ongoing moral failure, memory, selfishness, pride, a habit that just drags me down into the dirt. Remember the old hymn, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory, his grace. Minds, hearts, 
following, continuous, ongoing, day by day. It's, 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 uh, Eugene Peterson calls it a long obedience in the same direction. Following after the shepherd. Following steady. Following steady. Now, all of this, all of this has to do with his constant care. His ongoing constant care. I give them eternal life. They shall never perish. No one, no one will snatch them out of my hand. I give them eternal life. James Boyce says that if it were earned, it would be called wages. If it were merited, it would be called a reward. But, what does Jesus say? It's a gift. It's a gift originating solely in God's goodwill toward us. Look at verse 24 of chapter 5 here. Very truly I tell you. Now, before we read the rest of it, if you grew up when I did, and some of us are that era, okay, we're still ambulatory, okay, um, <laughs> okay, if, if you grew up with the, with the King James, if you grew up with the King James translation, King James, when Jesus says this in John's gospel, it comes out, do you remember? Yes, verily, 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 I tell you, okay? Or sometimes it's translated, truly, truly, I tell you. Here it says, very truly, I tell you. Now, the word that's used there is amen. Amen, amen. That's, that's how it actually, what it actually says. Amen, amen. And that little word, amen, we say it at the end of a prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. That word means a strong nail in a solid place. That's the, that's the essence, the meaning, all the way back into Isaiah of the meaning of amen. A strong nail in a solid place. It's going to hold. What Jesus is saying here, this is a strong nail in a solid place. This will hold. This will hold you steady. Here he says, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life, will not be judged, but has crossed over, has crossed over from death to life has crossed over from death to life. What's this saying? All of this is an accomplished reality. It's a settled fact. We now live out in practice what has already been accomplished. Large adult hand gently enfolds the hand of a child. All those little kiddos that went out a while ago down to children's church doing all that, I was out there giving them hugs and shaking hands, okay? I don't have a big hand. My hand is exactly now the same size as my dad's. When I was a little kid, my dad's hand was big. And I would hold his hand, and his hand would just cover mine. A child reaches out and puts his or her hand into an adult's hand. That adult hand enfolds the hand of a child, and that child's hand is hidden, hidden. The Lord's hand, his love, his care enfolds us. A, a believer's whole life is hidden with Christ. We don't, we don't place ultimate faith in an economy, stock market, government, political parties. <laughs> Hillary and Bernie and the Donald and Ted and Marco and anybody else. And all the ones that have dropped off the edge. 
We don't put our faith in political parties, military, human structures, fallen world. In Christ, in Christ, we're completely, solidly secure. This security is not found in the things of this earth, but in our position with Christ, where we're hidden, hidden. And when we're confident of that future, we can concentrate on the present. It's the true reason why we do all the things that we can to make the world a better place more compassionate, just, and caring place. Because we know, we know where true help for our caring, the real motive behind our sacrifice, the deep reason for our stewardship and our giving comes from Christ, from his power, his spirit, his help, his compassion, his love. It's the, it's the foundation. It's the foundation for a whole new ethic a whole new way of, of living, new ambitions, new service, new relationship, all of that. Eternal life is given, and old existence has ended. Jesus says we've crossed over from death to life. And the Apostle Paul gives us the same picture from death to life in Colossians. We move through these verses in Colossians, Paul adds his commentary to Jesus' picture of us with a shepherd. You died, your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Now notice, we're not commanded to hide ourselves. We're not commanded to hide ourselves in God. Our life is already hidden with him. It's an accomplished fact. Here and now, here and now, not merely just something to anticipate then and there. A follower of the shepherd Jesus is ultimately free and safe in him, with him. He or she has crossed over from death to life. In other words, done. Done. The shepherd who saves us is the one who holds us and the one who will keep us. God doesn't say that we're made right with him because of our good work. God doesn't say that we're made right with him because we place our, our faith in ourselves and trying harder and doing more and this and that. That is not it. I am not the gospel. You are not the gospel. That's not good news, trying harder. Well, just grit your teeth and try harder. Uh, well, that made me feel better. Thanks a lot. No, that's not it. We need good news. We need good news. We place our faith where God has placed our sin. We place our faith where God has placed our sin. Jesus. Jesus. Now, you bet we fall short, we get tired. There are times of discouragement, distressing circumstance, concern over loved ones, physical pain and illness, concerns over markets, ups and downs and housing and employment, and on and on and on. But is there any reason, after all these thousands of years, for God to no longer care for us. His timing is all loving toward his children. We affirm the wise, strong hand of the Lord to hold us, enfold us, shelter us, even when we have no strength to hold on ourselves. Our security is not holding on as long as we can. Our security is not holding on the best that we can. It's being held 
secure, hidden with Christ in God, in the strong, loving hand of our Savior, our shepherd, Jesus. Now, what this leads us to, then, is what Jesus tells us is his eternal commitment. His eternal commitment. Watch the progression here. Listen to it. See it. My Father, who's given them to me, is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. Paul writes to the Philippians, being confident of this, he's saying, you can take this to the bank, that, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He's not going to stop. He's not going to give up on you. He will keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then Colossians again. You've seen the progression through Colossians, through these verses? Here's with. comes up again. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. The shepherd's eternal commitment here. God the Father himself stands behind God the Son in keeping his sheep securely in the fold. Who can steal from God? Who can steal from God? Who has the power to outwit or outmuscle Almighty God? The Father and the Son are united in purpose and power to hold us steady and secure. We're held in Jesus' hand. Jesus says we're also held in the Father's hand. So there's this double enfolding here. It's, 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 it's beautiful. And what we're seeing is that we're called to see everything, even earthly things, against the backdrop of eternity. There's not only a, a past break from the power and the penalty of sin, there's a present security in Christ, and then there's a glorious future when Christ appears. So one day, the Jesus who died, the Jesus who was raised, the Jesus who reigns will return. The one who first came in humility and suffering will return in spectacular and magnificent splendor. And when he comes again, the secret is going to be out. Ha. Every knee, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he's Lord of all. Now, in the meantime, our security is ultimately dependent on God's character. Our security is ultimately dependent on God's character, not ours. And by his sheer incomprehensible mercy and grace, we're told that we're going to share in his glory. It's an absolutely amazing commitment to us. Between now and then, Jesus is preparing our eternal home so that we will be with him in glory. And this coming glory, now unseen, is marvelous beyond our comprehension. Paul says, eye has not seen, ear hasn't heard. We cannot begin to even comprehend or fathom with a finite mind the things that God has prepared for those who love him. The thought of it is comforting. But not only comforting, it's absolutely exhilarating. Even in our bereavements, even in our griefs, our sorrows, our tough times, these promises of Jesus remind us that the reason life does not become meaningless is because life moves toward a destination. The reason it means something is not because I try or work or strive or eh, 
I'll grind it out. No, no, no. Life is moving toward a destination. We still have sorrows, and we have our griefs, and we have our setbacks, and every one of us has something. Every one of us. But we see them. We decide to see them from an earthly, eternal perspective. God is sovereign. God is at work. His timeless truth is precisely what you and I need in chaotic times like these. You flip on the TV, you pull up the screen, you get on the web, you flip open a magazine, and you go, man, what is going on? His timeless truth is precisely what you and I need in chaotic times like these. Our status is secure. He holds us steady. The foundation of our hope and security, our salvation in salvation, is not ultimately our righteousness. It is not ultimately our obedience, but the shepherd's promise, the shepherd's power, the shepherd's purpose, and most of all, the shepherd's passionate love for you and me, his sheep, his love for his followers who hear his voice, who know him, who follow. We are held secure by a shepherd who will never let us go. And that is the truth of good news. Amen. Amen. Let's, um, let's bow together in prayer. Lord, your word reminds us again that we have died with you. We've been raised with you. Our life is hidden with you. And when you come again in glory, we will be with you for all eternity. Your fullness has passed into our emptiness, your righteousness into our sinfulness, your life into our death. As your followers, your sheep, we spend the rest of our lives just living out what you've already done in us. And it's amazing. So we thank you, Lord Jesus, our good shepherd, for holding us secure in your love. And we get to praise you for it now through this time of communion. We thank you and we praise you. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. amen.